been at the Mars Hill Forum all day, and, and it was an awesome day of um, just rich knowledge and teaching and um, contemplation. And um, I know that the, the morning sessions were recorded, and we'll get those out to those who couldn't be there. And then we also did a couple of things this afternoon. Um, I think they were both recorded. I'll have to, I'll have to double check. Um, but it was a great time, and uh, there were lots of people there. It was actually a good turnout, uh, considering the, all the restrictions at UK. Um, so look for those recordings if you weren't able to be there. And even if you were, they were it was going to be worth several re-listens. Um, we're in Luke. And, well, let me say, let's see. I wanted to say something about the fast. I mentioned it in my email. Our annual fast is November 19th, 20th, and 21st. That's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I think most of you have been around for one or, or more of those at this point. So you kind of know what to expect. Uh, but I do, I, I said this in the email, but I, I want to encourage you to not let the fast sneak up on you. Uh, when that happens, it can be kind of a race to get your heart in the right place, and then you start to feel bad, and then during the fast, you're like, well, I wasn't really prepared for this, and, and then it just becomes this big mental game, and it's sort of a downhill struggle from there. Um, so I want to encourage you to embrace, even the weeks leading up to the fast, the call to seek the face of God. That's what the fast is about. And we can get fixated or worried about the food aspect or the you know, the scheduling aspect of it um, or where it falls in the ramp up to the holiday season. But more than anything, we need to, to set our hearts on together as a community, pausing, shutting out as many things as we can to just stop and seek the face of God. And it is crucial to our life as a church. We, we have stayed in the path that we are in. We, have, we are the kind of church that we are because Every year we stop and we seek the face of God. So I just want to, I don't know, it's not a plug for the fast, but I, I want to just keep it on your minds, keep, keep you aware of it, so that it is a, a, a good time of, of seeking God, an effective time of seeking God, and not an afterthought, uh, if, if that makes sense. Um, any questions about the fast or anything like that? Like I said, I think most people here have been there, done that at this point. All right. So the way the fast falls, or the way that we did the schedule of teaching and reading, is we were doing Luke, and then in between Luke and Acts, we have the fast. And then coming out of the fast, we're going to go into Acts, which is wonderful. Uh, a couple of the things that, um, you know, there's a, there's a part in Acts 13 where they're all praying and fasting, and that's when they decide to send out Barnabas and Paul on their, on their first mission. And so prayer and fasting can really lead into the next phases of mission and calling for the church. Um, and that's, we're going to get to that here in a few weeks in the book of Acts. But tonight I want to talk about Luke 15. Luke 15 is made up entirely of three parables. And they're all stories that tell the same, that, that make the same point. Okay? They're all unique to Luke. And they fall right in line with Luke's primary theme of salvation. 
The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's one of the verses that you could use to basically summarize what's Luke's gospel all about? What is his emphasis? His emphasis is that the Son of Man came in to seek and to save that which was lost. This comes at, it's right in the middle of the journey to Jerusalem, which is a, uh, it's the chapter 9 through 19 in Luke. And it's a portion where they're walking on the road to Jerusalem and they're beginning to, Jesus keeps He's on his mission. And you see all sorts of different kinds of reaction to his mission. And he he just simply refuses to get led astray and, and distracted by the various questions and concerns and criticisms that that people who come have of his mission. We talked last week about, um, the leaven of the Pharisees. And how Jesus was training his disciples in the midst of this journey. Hey, we are going in and and the opposition is just going to increase. The longer we go, the more opposition there's going to be. And guys, don't get drawn astray. Don't, Don't get tempted to put on a face, to put on a show, to become disingenuine. Just because there's pressure or opposition. You live the life you're called to live. And this is what Jesus himself was doing in a lot of ways. The King James says, when he makes the turn to Jerusalem, it says he set his face like a flint. Meaning he was dead set. There was was no other focus. There were blinders on. And he was headed toward Jerusalem. And what that means, he wasn't just headed to the city. He was headed to the temple. He was headed to the, uh, the center of the Pharisees. He was headed to the cross. And everything that Jerusalem and the temple represent in Scripture, he was going to fulfill all of that. He was going to to become the place where heaven and earth meet. He was going to become the place where the sacrifice for sins was made. He was going to embody and take all of that calling on himself. And so he keeps encountering Pharisees on the way. And in chapters 13 and 14, the big scandal is that he's healing on the Sabbath. And it just does not fit. He, Jesus, early on, he said, listen, there's new wine, and it's not going to fit into old wineskins. You can't put it into old wineskins. If you fill the old wineskins with new wine, they burst. Well, this is exactly what's happening in the Pharisees' lives. They're, they're unwilling to get new wineskins out. They're unwilling to revision their understanding of God and his purposes And so Jesus, the new wine, comes and he simply does not fit into those those old wineskins. And it's like mind blown, right? Their their brains are exploding. The wineskins are bursting. And he he heals on the Sabbath, but then he does it again. He's like, okay, here's here's where the the rub is with these Pharisees. I've, I've, I've located a key disconnect in their understanding. And he heals on the Sabbath, he sees the response, and then he does it again. All right, and the first time he does it, I'm going to get to Luke 15, but this is this is kind of necessary to, to establish the context. The first time he does it, they all are caught off guard. The second time he does it, they're all waiting for him to do something, and he goes, and there's a guy who needs healing, and he's like, "All right, guys," and then he turns the tables and he says, "All right," he gets the guy and he says, "Okay, tell me." 
in front of this guy, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? I love Jesus. He's just, he knows the, the best way to make people uncomfortable. <laughs> get, them right where they, get them right where they need to be gotten. He heals the guy, and the Pharisees, they have nothing. They can't say anything. They're fuming, but they can't say anything to him. Chapter 14 ends with a great call to discipleship. We've talked about this. This is where Jesus talks about counting the cost. Right? He gave a call to discipleship. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. In chapter 9, he reiterates that call to discipleship here in chapter 14. And it's, again, one of the great passages on discipleship. If anyone comes after me, he doesn't hate his father and mother. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Then he says something interesting. So therefore, if any of you, therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And then he starts talking about salt. Kind of out of the blue. I wasn't planning on saying this, but I think it's really interesting. What he's saying there is somebody who comes after me but does but just sort of remains associated with me, does not renounce everything that they have, doesn't take the step into true discipleship. It's like salt that lost its saltiness. The only good thing about salt is that it's salty. Otherwise, what else do you do with it? Salt is pretty basic, right? Or is it acidic? I don't know. We have scientists in the room. Salt's a pretty fundamental element, right? You can't get much more basic than salt. So if salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for anything anymore. Except maybe like to keep your drink from sticking to the napkin if you ever knew that trick. But he's saying, listen, a disciple who hasn't renounced everything that they have, what good is that? That's just, that's just warm bodies walking around. We don't need warm bodies. We don't need to fill the pews. We need disciples. And he says, I'm sending, you are the salt of the earth. And the only thing salty about you is that you've left everything to follow me. So if you get sent out into the world, but you're still unsure about your loyalties, or you're kind of after money and kind of after the kingdom, you're kind of after pleasure, but you're also kind of after the kingdom, then it's not good for anything. You're not good for anything in kingdom terms. It is no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right, so to his disciples, he's making the, the call to discipleship crystal clear. You're, it's, it's, it's Christ, it's me, and it's everything else. It's not me plus other things. It's me and me only. And that's what it means to be a disciple. Now, the tax, this is Luke 15 now. And I'm just going to read this whole chapter and say a few things about it. Because it's really important to hear all of this together. And also, I just think it's a good thing to read Scripture in church. So I'm going to read it. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The same old Pharisees, right? They're the ones that come after him for healing on the Sabbath. They're coming after him because of the company that he's keeping. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, 
If he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the son gathered all that he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now as his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. Because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was hungry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And I was praying about this this week and thinking about it. And obviously the stories are told, right, in the context of these Pharisees have come to him. And they don't like the company that Jesus is keeping. And he's saying, no, 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 listen. We're rejoicing because these people are potentially coming to repentance. This is what we're here for. 
This is what this is all about. This is what being the people of God has always meant. This is why God chose Abraham and said, follow me and I will make you a blessing to all the world. This is what my heart has always been. And so obviously the older brother in the story of the prodigal son, which is usually the one we kind of snatch out of this chapter and and dwell on it. It is the longest. Um, But the older brother is those Pharisees. They're mad that the younger brother has received such grace and celebration and compassion from the father. And the father tells the older brother that you don't know who you are. You don't know who you are. You've been with me all this time. And I hear echoes of what John said to Philip. Have I been with you so long and you don't know me? Son, you stayed with me. But the way you're, you, the way you're behaving right now is, is revealing to me that you, you really don't understand the heart of the family business. We're a family. And your brother... Your flesh and blood has come back and has humbled himself. And we'll work out the rest later. He is back. And we're going to celebrate. All three of the stories tap into something that's very common to all of us, which is the utter attention that we give to things, to, to lost things of value. It takes over our other rhythms of life. When you lose something of value, for most of us, we panic when we lose our phones. (laughs) You lose your phone or your keys, everything stops. We don't go on living. And this is what the shepherd illustrates. You got 99 sheep in the field. I'm not worried about those right now. I'm going to leave the 99 and go find the one. The 99, they're, they're going to keep doing their thing. They're going to be here when I get back. I have to go find this one that's missing. The coin, the woman, she doesn't keep going about her business. She upends everything. And she scours everything until she finds the lost coin. So losing something of value causes you to disrupt your life. It causes you to, to bring everything else to a halt. To be able to see that thing restored. And when it's restored, there's great rejoicing. And so I was thinking about this, and I think we need to hear this story and and meditate on it in these days. We live live under these dark clouds in these days. There's dark clouds of of COVID. Dark clouds of um, just political vitriol and... um, Really just, uh, I don't know, how how do you describe it? It's just, (laughs) it's craziness. It's chaos. Irrational fears. Irrational cries for justice that have nothing to do with real justice. And senseless violence. On on either side, I'm I'm not taking a side at all. And that's the problem. There's no side worth taking in a lot of these things. And our, we're beginning to adjust to this, we call it the new normal. There's nothing normal about it. But there's this longing, right? I have this longing for 
life to just go on like it used to be. Right? It seems like it, it all changed so fast. But I want to challenge us to, to examine ourselves, to, to really read these stories and say, what is God most concerned about? What brings God the most joy? What would, bring, what would bring me the most joy? What am I arranging my life around? And so here's, what, here's the challenge I want to issue us. All of us can probably isolate something in our hearts and minds that we long for, that would bring us much joy. And as I read through these parables this week, I'm just realizing that Joy is a part of each one. Joy and celebration. They're really about joy. Rejoicing. And I think we have these deceitful fantasies in our mind. I'm speaking generally. And each of us probably have it in a little bit of a different way. A deceitful... That, hey, we're really going to rejoice when all these guidelines are lifted. Hey, we're really going to rejoice when the election's over. We're really going to rejoice when fill-in-the-blank gets into office or into the Supreme Court. Or we're really going to rejoice when X, Y, or Z happens. And if we're longing for those things, our hearts are not aligned with God's. God's heart is and will always be most, a lot, most after sinners repenting and coming home. And I think our current Age, if you can call it an age, it's about six months old. Can six months be an age? <laughs> it feels like an age. Our current age has completely gotten us off course from our chief source of joy being one sinner who repents. That's what this is all about. And so we've allowed things to disrupt our lives. That shouldn't be the things that disrupt our lives. What should disrupt our lives and what should cause us to bring everything to a halt, shut everything down, is finding what is lost. Finding what is lost. And what should bring us the most joy is finding what is lost. A sinner who repents. That is and will always be, regardless of the climate of culture, regardless of the state of politics, regardless of whatever plague happens to be sweeping across the earth. The greatest joy in heaven has always been and will always be one sinner who repents. And that will trump all elections, all vaccines, all lifting of restrictions, all finally getting to be back to school in person, all, all, anything else <laughs> that would bring us joy in this time. There's joy to be found, and it's in finding the lost. And so I want to challenge us to resist the disruption of our lives that's oriented toward Isolation and separation and fear and um, polarizing ideologies. 
resist the disruption that's coming from that, because that's, that's child stuff to, compared to what the church has faced. We are to be a people whose lives are constantly disrupted toward finding those who are lost, toward preaching the gospel, toward living every situation possible, squeezing every possible opportunity to reach the lost out of the brief time that we have here on earth. And so those of you who know me don't, don't know me as this, you know, I sometimes get bothered by the evangelists that come through and they talk about, you know, it's the one thing you can't do in heaven and you start to feel all guilty about how little you share the gospel and how many people are going to hell because you haven't shared the gospel with them. That's not the message I'm bringing. I'm saying, are you searching for joy? Let me go share the gospel and lead someone to Jesus. That's where you'll find joy. That's where, you, that's where you will be rejoicing with the angels in heaven. And there's no greater joy than that. To participate in the Father's greatest desire. Which is to see his child, who's been lost, just appear on the horizon. Oh, he's back. Let's rejoice. All right, so I believe God's calling us to a celebration in these times. And it's a celebration of seeing the lost come home. So I want to put that in your minds. And I want to challenge you to think, all right, so yeah, it, we haven't really been thinking in terms that much of outreach. And it's all been a little funky. You know, our, our campus group was... Uh, it was just really hard this year to try and find people who would want to come to a Bible study even. But I want to challenge us to, you know, maybe we've overturned one cushion and the coin wasn't there. We've got to go for all the cushions in the house. We've got to turn all the furniture upside down. And there's a lot left to be. There's a lot more places that we can look for the lost ones. And we can't just experience just a little opposition, a little disruption, a little barrier, and then just go, well, all right, well, I guess it's just not a season of evangelism. I really think that this is a, that the fields are white for harvest. And that Satan is the one who is blinding us and who is resisting uh, and, and causing us to shrink back in fear. Now, I'm not saying go and shout in people's faces without a mask on. But I'm saying, if you look, I believe that we can all look. If you allow your life to be disrupted and oriented around finding those who are lost and sharing the truth with them, you, can find, you will find opportunities. Does that make sense? So this was convicting to me. I realized that God's not going to rejoice when the election's over. God's going to rejoice when the lost come home. God's not going to rejoice when there's a vaccine. God's going to rejoice when the lost come home. And we should probably just get on board with that. Amen? Amen. And, hey, we get to be a generation that experienced mild opposition. Let's rejoice that we were kind of worthy to suffer in, in, in a minuscule way to carry out the work that he's called us to do. Amen? So, 
Let's determine our own disruption. Let's, let's lock down our own lives to seek the lost, to find that which is lost. Let's come out and shut down this, that, and the other so that we can spend more time seeking and saving that which is lost. Amen? There are lost people that are in our lives that God wants us to reach. And he's waiting to rejoice when they come home and find him. Amen? Is this right? Is this where we, this is where we need to... It's encouraging? Empowering? These parables are always true. And God's rejoicing is always directed toward the same thing. The times ebb and flow. And the people of God ought not ebb and flow with the times. And allow the primary mission that we're to carry out to be so affected and so shut down. I don't believe that any of the guidelines that have been, you know, any of the shutdowns so far are ones that should prevent us from doing any of the things that God has called us to do. And if we allow them to, the issue is with us. Amen? So, exploit all the areas of your life where you interact with. Maybe, and it pains me to say this, Maybe you can share your testimony on Facebook and see who responds. I'm not saying keep it there on Facebook and disciple them on Facebook and share the gospel on Facebook, but if that's where people are in their rooms looking at Facebook, well, then they're not on the street. They're not in the grocery store. They're in their rooms. So let's go to them in their rooms. We have access. Let's seed truth into people's lives. That's just one idea. There are other, you go, we go to where people are. The one sheep wandered off, and he went to go find out where he went. There are sheep that have wandered off in our lives, and we need to go find out where they went. Um, So I want to encourage us to to not follow the cues of our fearful culture and isolate ourselves and make quarantine jokes and, and just kind of really disguise our laziness. We still have lots of opportunities to be the church, to witness, and we need to be uh, turning over every cushion uh, to do so. Amen? So, I, and I think this will deliver us from some of this fear and paralysis and, and lethargy that has crept in. You know, we're heading into winter. We're heading, maybe this can be sort of a meditation for us in these weeks heading into the fast. Maybe God will really break through and help us Show us how to break through kind of the, the, the frosting over of, of our culture and the, the stagnation and isolation and alienation that we face. Amen? All right, well, anybody have any response to that or you want to underline anything? It's a little harder. We're being told not to gather in groups. But we can overcome that. You know, humans are creative. 
We find out ways to get what we want that even sort of follow the rules. We can find a way. <laughs> Let's get creative. I mean, just get back to how do you react when you lose something that's really extremely valuable to you? Use those skills to go find the lost. They're inherent skills. Now, we need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with the Father's compassion. And that's really what the key is. But that's what it'll be. You know, we know what it is to put stuff on hold and go find the lost thing. Anybody else? Yeah. Sure. And we come out through the Holy Spirit. Are we just going to go sit and be full vessels in our house? Yeah. Not saying we have to leave or break all the rules necessarily. Yeah. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Amen. Let's pray. Father, give us your heart. Lord, give us your heart more than ours, which is so tied to the ebb and flow of the age. Lord, give us your eternal heart, which desires your lost sons and daughters to come back. God, I pray that we would rise above the restrictions and restraints that uh, have just led to disruption. Lord, it hasn't led to opposition or persecution. It's just led to disruption. Lord, we've just been disrupted. Lord, help us to adjust and to move on with the mission, Lord. I pray that you would lead us to those who... um, are truly lost, who are alone, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would lead us to those whom this uh, present age has, has really been hard on. To those who have been diminished, God, and, and alienated by the virus and by the politics of our age. And by the unrest. Lord, lead us to those who are confused. Lord, show us how. Show us where to go, Lord. Show us what methods to use. Put it on our hearts, Lord. Lead us by the Holy Spirit. Give us supernatural guidance, God. I just pray you would pour out your Spirit on us. And in these days that there would be an outpouring, Lord, of divine appointments of clearly God-ordained, God-orchestrated connections that we can make for the purpose of the gospel, Lord. 
Lord, that is what your Holy Spirit does. It clothes us with power from on high to be your witnesses. And so, Lord, we just pray for that. And as we move toward the book of Acts, Lord, and and our time of fasting, we set our hearts to, to be clothed with power from on high, to be your witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in this city, and to the ends of the earth. Give us wisdom. And Lord, help us not to to be easily dissuaded. And to be easily dissuaded from uh, pressing forward in boldness. Help us not to be easily, um, to grow weary, Lord. To be easily wearied and to give up soon. But help us to live each day with a, a power and an energy that can only come from you. Lord, all of us sense just the draining, uh, the draining churn of our current time. And God, I pray that you would shut that off from this body. And that we would not be drained, but we would be renewed day by day. And that we would... Uh, as your word said in Isaiah, that we would, um, that our strength would be renewed. That those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. That we would rise on, on, on eagles' wings in the way that, that the word says, God. Lift us up, Lord, and take us out into the fields that are white with harvest. Thank you for that in Jesus' name.